Thank you, Elliot. Good morning, good morning, church. Buenos dia. Just in case you haven't done the tech service, I really encourage you to do so because, just to give you an example, yesterday was a scheduled men's breakfast. It was scheduled for 2 p.m., but we decided, the men's ministry decided to cancel it, postpone it to today at 2 p.m. It's going to be at Jose Santiago's house. So all the men in the house, you don't want to miss it. We encourage you to bring your favorite dish, too, so you can share with everyone. But the reason it was postponed was because of the forecast. Because of the thunderstorms, the hurricane, I don't know what came through, but we know that a storm came through and we postponed everything. But through the text service, we were able to co communicate to the church. So just in case you've never done it, we encourage you to sign up and make it happen. Well, right now, we're in ending our teaching series. Does anyone know what the title is? Capacity, reaching our fullest potential in Christ. So whether you're here for the first time or you're watching us through the live stream, we want to encourage you to listen to the whole series. You could go to our website or a podcast and you could have access to every single week, every message. So you would be able to see the big picture of what God has been speaking to the church during this month. So if everyone could turn to Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 16. It says this. The Apostle Paul says this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now focus on the next statement Paul, the Apostle Paul says. He says this, that you may be filled, that you may be filled. So here there's a level of capacity that you could have in your life. So you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So think about that. Here the Apostle Paul is making it clear that you could be at a certain level of capacity in your life, and he's encouraging you that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him, now think about this. He's encouraging you to be full to the very top, overflowing to your capacity, you could say. And then when you're at that level, you, um, he continues, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And it says, amen. So there, 
the Apostle Paul is really encouraging us that there's a levels that we need to grow into and there's a fullness of God that we could experience in our lives where God will also end up doing immeasurably greater things that we could ever imagine or think. I don't know about you, and of course, according to the scripture, it's because of the God's power that's living within us. So the more you have of God active in your life, the more you'll experience these miraculous things in and around you. And I don't know about you, but I want more of God every single day of my life. I want to be to the overflowing. I want to make sure that my capacity in my life is a large capacity to be able to hold what God has for me. I really believe that most Christians have a capacity problem. It's a capacity problem. God is ready to pour down so many blessings from heaven, so many different things within our lives, but we just don't have, you could say, the container to hold it. Our life, is the container that gets to hold what God has for us. I'm going to read another verse just for us to realize. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. It says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with some spiritual blessings. Does it, does it say some a couple spiritual blessings, one or two spiritual blessings. All right, the count of three, I want you to shout out every. One, two, three. Every, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now think about that. Right there it says, from heaven's standpoint, every spiritual blessing is poured down towards your life. But the problem is, is our life able as a container to hold the blessings that God has for us? Is it? Think about this. Imagine during a rainstorm, you going outside with a little cup. Just a little cup. Be like, oh, I want to try to catch this rain. You'll have a hard time catching all that rain with a little cup. You know what I mean? Even if you have like a, I'm not a big Starbucks guy, but you know, what's the biggest one? It's like they have all these different names. Venti. Even if you have a venti cup, you'll have a hard time if there's going to be a, a, a pretty much raining, a pouring out from heaven. So what is the size of the container of your life to be able to embrace what God has? Right now, today, as you can tell, is a very different day here in our church. And you can see there's balloons, there's tables, because right after I share my short message, we're going to have a ministry fair. And you'll see how important it is with the fact that we're doing a ministry fair and the fact that we want to increase our capacity. So today, the major thing we're going to talk about is five principles on how you could increase your capacity to be able to receive more from God. And I don't know about you, but I want to do everything I can from my standpoint to be able to make sure that I'm increasing the capacity of my life to receive what God has for me. 
You know, a lot of times we miss out on what God has, not because God let you down, not because God did something wrong. We miss out a lot of times just because our capacity to receive it has been so small. But today, we're going to learn how to increase our capacity. And that's one of the biggest decisions you could make. Because let me tell you, in the end of your life, you don't want to look back in your life and be like, you know what, I missed out. I ran around chasing so many other things except from what God had to give me. And, our, and I know for each of us, even now, these five principles could totally transform our lives. Now, we're going to talk about a story that you've heard before, but I want you to see it from a different light. Now, this is, of course, we've heard about the feeding of the 5,000, and there's the feeding of the 4,000 as well. The feeding of the 5,000, you can see it in all four Gospels. The feeding of the 4,000 are in two of the Gospels. But right now what I'm going to do, I'm going to read some of the passage. We're going to focus on one of them. You could read the rest of them when you get home as a little homework if you want. But we're going to focus on the feeding of the 4,000 so that we would be able to see exactly what's happening. Because we know that the, th the word for this year is disciple. To be one and to make one. Now, when you're a disciple, you're a student. And obviously, you're following your teacher, your master, who's Jesus. So Jesus doesn't just do things to do things or say things to say things. Jesus is always thinking, how could I teach my disciples something? So here, through this feeding of the 4,000, it's not just a feeding of the 4,000. It's a classroom setting. Jesus is teaching his disciples. And I want you to picture yourself. Imagine you're one of his disciples being there on that day as well. But Jesus is here in a classroom wanting to teach each of us an important lesson. Matthew chapter 15, starting at verse 29. This is the backdrop so that we could understand what's happening. We're going to set the stage. It says this. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up to the mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame. Now picture this. Great crowds come to, coming to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. So imagine, what do you think the crowd, that environment at that moment. What do you think the disciples are thinking at that moment? This is like an exciting, powerful moment where people are being healed in front of hundreds, thousands of people all around them. So it says this, he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. So here, there's tons of excitement, tons of the power of God being manifested. Like right there, God's power is tangible. People are being healed. People are being delivered. People are being touched by God's presence in a mighty way. So imagine how the crowd is. They're excited, right? They're like, yo, what in the world is happening? There's excitement everywhere. Imagine the disciples, too. What do you think the disciples are thinking? 
Disciples there, they're excited too, but they're like, I want to do this. Like, I would love to experience God's power and to be able to heal people as well. I would love to be a part, to see these miracles taking place, like actively through their lives as well. There's a lot of excitement and there's a lot of different things happening at that moment. Then the lesson begins. Verse 32, Jesus called his disciples to him, and really it's to teach them, and said, I have compassion for these people. I'm going to pause right there. Right there, Jesus knew that everyone was excited about the power. Everyone was excited about those moments, about the ministry being done, and all of that that goes with that. But Jesus wanted to make it very clear to the disciples where his heart was. His heart was compassion for the people that were there. His heart was love for the people that were there. His motivation to do ministry was out of love for the people that are around him. It wasn't for the power's sake. It wasn't for the title. It wasn't for the fame. It wasn't for the applause. It wasn't for all the attention that he was getting. He was having compassion for those that were around him, and he healed them. And then he says this, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, for they may collapse on the way. So here Jesus not only shows compassion about their spiritual walk, but their physical health as well, wanting to give them food to eat and nourishment. In verse 33, it says this, his disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? So right there, Jesus told them that we want to feed them pretty much. And the disciples' response is really almost dodging it. Like at that moment, it's like, you know, where could we get food for them? You know, think about how could we do this? Why should we do this? When should we do this? You know, where do we need to go? All the questions involved, and when it boils down to it, it's really almost excuses in a sense. It's excuses like instead of trying to really solve things, if you look at the other stories of the feeding of the 5,000 and, and 4,000, you'll be able to see that they say so many different statements to the disciples that reflects this, what I'm trying to say to you. And then all of a sudden, after the disciples said that, in verse 34, it says this. Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? Jesus wasn't worried about how many loaves they could get anywhere else. They, he looked at them and said, how many do you have with you? How many loaves do you have? And then all of a sudden, uh, they said seven, they replied, and a few small fish. In verse 35, he told the crowd to sit on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the five fish and when he had given thanks, and, and I'm sorry, and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. 
okay? So all of a sudden, he had given thanks, he broke them, and he gave them to the disciples. What did Jesus give to the disciples there? Right there, look at that statement. It says, he told them to sit down on the ground, if you could put it behind me. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish. When he had given thanks, he broke them and he gave them to the disciples. What did Jesus give to the disciples at that moment? They pretty much, they brought Jesus the seven loaves and the small fish. Jesus blessed them, broke them, and handed it back to the disciples. What did he hand back to the disciples? It was the, se- well, the, the seven um, pretty much loaves that were broken and the five fish. Pretty much at that moment, like he blessed them, he broke them, and then he handed it over to the disciples. Then in turn, the disciples ended up bringing it to the people. Now, my question to you is, and then I'm going to continue the passage. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men besides women and children. So altogether, there must have been 7,000 people easy there. And they ate from seven loaves and a few tiny fish. But my question is, where did it get multiplied? Because when Jesus asked them, what do you have? They brought it to him. He held what they had. He blessed it and broke the bread. And he gave it back to the disciples. And then the disciples took what they had given to Jesus, and then they are the ones that went to the people and gave out pretty much what they received. But where did the multiplication happen? Obviously, it doesn't fully say in detail, but I really believe that Jesus took what they had He blessed it and broke it and gave back the tiny fish and the seven broken loaves of bread broken. And while the disciples, trusting Jesus and having faith that there could be a miracle that will take place, when they stepped out in ministry, when they stepped out to meet the need, when they stepped out to touch the people, All of a sudden, they saw that the pieces were multiplied, and they were able to bless everyone with it. Would the miracle have happened if the disciples weren't willing to step out in ministry? Would the miracle would have happened if the disciples would have stayed there and pretty much not being willing to be actively involved doing what God would want them to do? And what's amazing, too, is that there were seven basketfuls afterwards. And what's amazing, too, is just when you think about it, it's like all of a sudden, and it says with the baskets, it says this, it pretty much says afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces. Not the other people. The disciples walked away with seven basketfuls. 
So all I know is that when you pour yourself out and when you're active in doing what God wants you to do, God takes care of you as well. God gives you to the overflow. You, it's almost like it's, it's, I know we were singing a song before, and the song said, I want more, and then repeated three times, I want more, I want more of you, pour it out. And I know that song, we're looking at God saying, I want more of you, pour it out. I really believe that you could even look at it differently. For us to look at God and says, I want more of you. I want more of you. I want more of you. And then God looking back at you and saying, pour it out. When you pour out what's in you, when you pour out what's in you, then you could, after you pour it out, you look back and you'll find seven basketful of blessings. All of a sudden, you see seven basket full of blessings behind you. Because you know what? When you pour out, you're making room for God to pour in. So for us, I'm going to go quickly over five principles. You could write them down so that you would be able to see as well. And it's going to be behind you too. Principle number one, your capacity increases when your heart is in the right place. Your capacity increases when your heart is in the right place. Why did Jesus even say, I have compassion for this people? He, he didn't have to say that. He said that to make sure the disciples around him knew, hey, your heart has to be in the right place. To do ministry, it's because you have compassion for the people around you. Don't do ministry for titles. Don't do ministry for power. Don't do uh, ministry for fame. Don't do ministry for applause. Do ministry because you have compassion for other people. So when your heart is in the right place, it increases your capacity. And I have to let you know, it's when your heart is in the right place with God. Some of us, we entertain sin in our lives. When you entertain sin in your life, you're limiting the capacity of what God could do in your life. All of a sudden, when you choose to put other things before God, all of a sudden, you're limiting what God could do because you know what? The opposite is true too. We just read your capacity increases when your heart is in the right place. The opposite is true too. Your capacity decreases when your heart is in the wrong place. So all of a sudden, if your heart is in the wrong place, you're doing things for the wrong motives. You're allowing different things to be in your life that doesn't belong. If it's in the wrong place, you're lowering the capacity, decreasing the capacity of what God could do in your life. The second um, principle is this. Your capacity increases when you take the time to do an inventory of your life. Your capacity increases when you take the time to do an inventory of your life. And the reason I say this is because remember what Jesus said to the disciples? All of a sudden, there's this huge need all around and Jesus just turns to um, the disciples and says, what, what do you have? What do you have? Jesus didn't turn around and be like, yo, what's the nearest stopping shop? Where's the nearest uh, shop, right? You know, it's like, you know, where's the nearest bodega? Jesus, said, Jesus looked at them and said, what do you have? 
do an inventory of what you have. Because with what you have, Jesus could do miracles with what you have. But so many times what happens, and this is the thing, the reason why your capacity increases when you do an inventory is because when you do an inventory of the skills that you have, you know, when you do an inventory of your spiritual gifts, when you do an inventory of your experiences, your personality, pretty much the connections you have, when you do an inventory of the things that you have in your life, all of a sudden you start to dream. All of a sudden, you start to believe that there's other things that you could offer. And all of a sudden, your mind is really expanded. Your capacity increases. Because with that, the opposite is really true. Your capacity decreases when you don't take the time to do an inventory of your life. Right now, at this moment, there's many buried dreams Right now, this moment, in so many hearts that are in this room, there's buried dreams, dreams that you totally forgot about, dreams that you think will never be able to happen, dreams that you don't even chase after anymore. You pretty much bury them, and to you, it's dead to you, but you know that at one point, you were excited about it, and at one point, you believed God was leading you in it, but you decided to put a coffin on it. But God, with God, God is in the business of resurrecting dead things. God's in the business of doing the impossible. So all of a sudden, when you start to dream again, your capacity increases. There's some abilities that we have that we've buried as well. Some of us could sing, but we have decided not to sing anymore. Some of us could dance, and we decided not to dance. Some of us are able to do things with our hands, and we decided not to do them anymore. We've buried our skills. We've buried our talents, our spiritual gifts, things. And all of a sudden, in my opinion, when we've buried them, the enemy literally is rejoicing because that's an aspect of your life that literally you've pretty much closed the door on allowing God to use for his glory. But you increase your capacity when you do an inventory of what you have. Jesus looked at them and said, what do you have? They they said, seven loaves and a few tiny fish. It might seem like not much. Some of us here, you probably are sitting here and be like, you know what? I don't have much to offer God. I'm not that smart. I'm not that bright. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not gifted. I'm not talented. I can't sing like Pastor Carlos. No. That's a joke. You don't want to sing like Pastor Carlos. (laughs) I can't sing at all. So it's like all of a sudden, it's like you need to realize that you might feel like you don't have anything to offer, but imagine in the light of the situations the disciples were in. 7,000 people, seven loaves of bread, pretty much pieces of bread, and a few tiny fish to feed 7,000 people, you could say. Don't you think that's a bigger obstacle to be able to overcome? Number three, principle number three, it says this. Your capacity increases when you give what you have to Jesus. Your capacity increases when you give what you have to Jesus. So no matter what you have, 
When you give it to Jesus, he's able to do the impossible. But have you given it to Jesus? Have you? It's like here, the little the disciples had, they gave it to Jesus. He blessed it and broke it, and he gave it back to them. Now think about this too. If Jesus, you know, let's say his heart was in the wrong place or whatever, which we know wasn't. Of course, he's God and he, he's pure in heart. He could have decided to be like, you know what? I'm not going to give this back to the disciples. I'm going to hand it out myself. I'm going to let all 7,000 people come straight to me and get the fish and the um, bread. But no, he blessed and broke what was given to him, gave it right back, and said, hey, walk with the little that you thought you had, trusting me, and you will see the impossible happen, the miraculous happen. What no one ever would have thought was possible, immeasurably more than you could ever imagine. All of a sudden, as the disciples were going back out, they were able to experience God's glory in that. Number four, your capacity increases when you're involved in God's ministry. Your capacity increases when you're involved in God's ministry. I'm a strong believer that for, for you to grow and fulfill your greatest potential in God, you have to be active serving in ministry. You have to be. Because life isn't about what you could get. Life is about what you can give. And when you serve, you grow. And you could ask any volunteer, any leader, one of the moments where they feel through their journey that they grew so much were moments that they were serving for God. And I really believe this, is that miracles can happen anywhere. Obviously, God could do a miracle anywhere, but miracles are pretty much at a higher place whenever they're involved in time periods of ministry. And when I tell you ministry, ministry really is just meeting a need. There's so many different needs around us. So here, number five is this. Your capacity increases when you put others first. Your capacity increases when you put others first. The opposite is true. Your capacity decreases when you don't put others first. When it's always only about you, your capacity to receive what God has in your life decreases. But your capacity increases when you put others first. Think about this. With that miracle, the disciples fed the 7,000, okay? I wonder in the midst of them feeding, some disciples would be like, man, I'm kind of hungry myself. I'm going to take a couple bites too. Like, you know what I mean? They're like handing food to everybody. They're looking at the fish. They're probably so hungry, but they're choosing to put others first, choosing to put strangers first, I doubt the disciples knew all those 7,000 people who they were. All of a sudden, they chose to put others first. And in the midst of them putting others first and being a part of ministry, their capacity increased. They were able to experience God's power in their life. They were able to be blessed by God by seeing the basketfuls that they were able to walk away from afterwards. But are we living for other people? 
Because you know what? In this life, in this life, like the reality is the world tells you this life is about just you, me, myself, and I. Like in a sense, it's about me, 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 me. And, and for each of us, just looking out for ourselves. But Jesus flips the script and says, no, it's about other people, what you could do. So here, there was a story pretty much, pretty much highlighting 7,000 people that were in need. All around them, 7,000 people that were in need. And pretty much God wanting to touch their life, impact their life. And he turned to the disciples and said, what do you have? Trust me. Come in this journey with me and see miracles happen. And your capacity increase and blessings come in your life. I have news for every single person in this room. Right now, this moment, there's about 150,000 people surrounding this church here in the city of Elizabeth. That was 7,000 there. And there's about 150,000 people that live in the city of Elizabeth. And God is looking down on each one of us and looking at us and be like, hey, we could come up with tons of excuses and be like, where could we go to get the food? What could we do? Oh, there's so many other places that they could get resources. And in another story, and in another gospel, the disciples actually said, why don't you let them go now? Let them leave before we have to feed them. It's like all of a sudden, it's like kind of like let them all do what they have to do instead of us taking responsibility. God wants each of us to take responsibility. God wants each of us to be a part of the ministry. So here, there's 150,000 people in Elizabeth, you could say. There's so much need around us. People that are hungry, people that are tired, people that are thirsty, people that are hurting all around, all ages. And what are we going to do? Are we going to send them away? Are we just going to pray for them at a distance? Or are we going to decide, like, you know what, God? I don't have much, but the, the little I have, I give to you. And I want to see the miracles take place through my life. And I, I know that you're going to take care of me in the midst of the journey. So today, how I said in the beginning, is a very special day. Because today we're doing the ministry fair. And inside your booklet, I want you to take something out that says ministry fair. And we're doing something completely different today. Here, we've laid out the 22 main ministry teams that we have. Believe, believe me, these are not all the ministries that we have in our church. These are just the team-led ministries that we have. We have other ministries as well. But here, you see them numbered 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And then from 16 to 22, it's in the lobby. And in the lobby as well, in the middle... Pastor Diana is going to be there in case you have any questions or you're lost or you're trying to figure things out. But here you'll see this. 
Number one, we have a production team, and that team, you could read the details on your own, but Alex Torado is leading that team. When I mention a person's name, why don't we thank God for them real quick? Woo! Table two, we have, um, t I mean, section two, we have the maintenance team. Danny Lorenko is in charge of that team. Make some noise for Danny. Team three is our missions team. And my wife, Jen Cedeno, is going to be in the missions section over here. Team four is the Sunday worship team, which is Pastor Harold and Giancarlo. Let's thank God for them. Team five is our dance team, who Jennifer Feliciano is in charge of. Why don't we thank God for her? Team six is our young adults team, which Elliot Johnson and Samantha are in charge. Why don't we thank them? Team seven is our ushers team with Derek White. Woo! Team eight is our youth team with Jesus. Torres and Lori. Team nine is our Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts um, church troop, which is Trail Life and American Heritage Girls. We have Vince Coleman and Christina Fernandez. <laughs> team 10 is our children's team, which is Caroline and the team. Why don't we thank, I know Jennifer um, Nunez is going to be at the table. Team 11 is our Shepherds Feeding the Needy, P and Eva. Team 12 is our senior citizen team with Lynn Munn. Team 13 is our couples team with Pastor Loretta and Chris. Team 14 is our men's ministry with Phil Costanza and the team. Team 15 is our women's ministry with Diane Boyd and the team. Team 16 is our care team with Millie Velasquez. Team 17 is Restoring Dignity, George Olivo leading that. Team 18 is our prayer team with Charlotte Leonard leading that effort. Team 19 is Jobs for Life. This is actually something completely new. Make sure you read about this. Is um, our one of our elders, Kirk Nelson. Team 20 is our Spanish ministry, Dania and Sergio. And Team 21 is our events team with Betsy Santiago. And last but not least, our hospitality team with Lydia Rodriguez. So there's two things that are ha going to happen in a few seconds. All the team leaders, you can start making your way to your tables quietly two things are going to happen is this one of them is that you'll have we're going to give you about 20 minutes to meet with everyone then we're going to ask everyone to come back just for one last worship song that we're going to do together as a family as to seal this time period declaring to god that we're giving ourselves away so pretty much there's two things that are going to happen you're going to have a chance to visit these tables and visit each one, ask any questions, and give them information to sign up to be a part of it. 
And the other thing that's happening is this. Many of you know that our church operates on a ministry um, year from September to June, pretty much. That's our regular ministry year. Um, well, September to August. I'm sorry, September to August. And every time period during this time, we give you an opportunity to sign up to be an official volunteer. Inside your bulletin, there's the Ministry Fair official card that says, sign me up. It says, sign me up. By you filling this out, by you filling this out, we're telling you to pick your t-shirt size as well because we're going to all get t-shirts that we're going to use during the summer for Project Serve. Many of you know what that's about. You will also get a bracelet that I'm wearing here too. It says, Disciple, be one and make one. And it's a reminder of your dedication to our church. Every person in our church, including myself, every pastor, every elder, every ministry person, anyone that's involved in any way, shape, or form, volunteering in any ministry, needs to fill this out. If you don't fill this out, you're telling me that you're choosing not to commit for another year. You do this in the lobby, we'll take your picture real quick, and we'll give you a bracelet, and you'll be official. So right now, real quick, we're going to watch a video, and then we're going to release you so you can visit the tables for about 15, 20 minutes. Watch the video. We'll be happy.